This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey, and welcome back to the Young Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Kenzie Aaron of Aaron Iron and Steel. Let's get right into it. So, our guest today, as you can probably tell from the title, is the one, the only, Josh Smith of Josh Smith Knives. How you doing? I'm good. good and hopefully all the listeners are too. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. For those of you who don't know, Josh Smith is the youngest ever ABS Master Smith. He is a fantastic bladesmith from Montana. And, I don't know, well, you want to give yourself a proper introduction? Well, I think you kind of covered it. I, I live in Frenchtown, Montana, which is kind of western Montana. Um, kind of live in the mountains here, and I've got four kids and... A wife and uh, we've got some my kids have got some 4-H animals around here we've got some property I was actually just out shooting my bow going to an archery shoot this weekend total archery challenge down in Big Sky and yeah so kind of living the Montana life you know yeah that's awesome so I guess you're just right below me I'm in Alberta yeah our friendly neighbors to the north yeah so, I guess, like I say in the intro, let's get right into it. Um, first question for you is, what's going on in your shop this week? Well, you know, I'm, I'm actually taking a little bit of a break from some of my custom stuff right now, and I'm working on starting a kind of a semi-production uh, knife company right now called Montana Knife Company. So, you know, I've kind of just about finished up with the first uh, kind of run of knives, first design that I did. And, and actually, last night I was out there fairly late working on a couple prototypes for the next, the next run. And, uh, you know, honestly, I've never been in the production world before, really. So it's kind of like starting all over again, just learning, learning how to produce things on more of a mass scale. I'm used to just doing things you know, one at a one at a time and, uh, real tedious and, uh, maybe with not as much speed. So, so right now out in my shop, that's pretty much what I'm up to is I'm buried in knife parts and handles and blades and, and just trying to kind of make figure my way out in that world. Well, that's awesome. Are you CNCing any of that stuff or are you still cutting everything out one by one? Yeah, the the idea with this is to not have to do the one by one thing as much. Uh, every one of them do get touched by me, but uh, yeah, we've done some water jetting, uh, CNC mill, uh, some of the the handle scales, um, you know, kind of use utilizing technology in that way. Uh, you know, it's still kind of bumpy with learning, you know, the most efficient ways to do things, but. Like when I put these knives together, the parts and pieces, I'm still actually finishing off all the handles on the belt grinder, kind of rounding things down, making them how I like them. And then I'm parkerizing them all myself, bead blasting them all, parkerizing them, and uh, and and gluing them up and sharpening them. So there's still actually a fair amount of work 
uh, it's not like it's just assembled and set to the side and finished, you know. Um, and I've got my kids helping me. My kids are, oh, from 16 years old down to 11. And my 12-year-old my boy, he really enjoys putting the putting the pieces and the parts together. And my, my eighth grader, well, she'll be a freshman now, daughter, she likes to do the the bead blasting. So that's kind of the goal with the company is to have something that the kids can kind of help me in. Oh, that's super awesome. Well, you're answering all my questions without me asking them. That's great. I was going to ask how much are your kids helping or are any of them looking like they're going to be taking over the family business or do you hope they do? How is that? You know, how much do they do? That would be cool. I mean, that, you know, it's kind of depends on what they want to do. I've never really pushed them too hard to get out there. Um, They definitely enjoy being out there but they're so busy with sports and 4-h animals and all that that we don't get as much time out there as we'd like but you know up until now when they were younger it was it was a bit hard to involve them much in my my custom knife process because everything is so specialized and yeah um you know it's it's hard to it's hard to ask an eight-year-old to work on a on a fancy pocket knife with you, but they they would be out there and they like they'll set a piece of wood up in the drill press and drill holes and do different stuff. But that's kind of the goal with this Montana Knife Company is to have something that you know maybe over the next several years they they work into and ho- who knows maybe in ten years you know they're more involved in it than I am and they're running it you know or I'm just involved a little bit that would be ideal you know. Yeah, well, that would be awesome, and I know it's really good to get your kids into it. That's that's how I started talking to you, as I left that comment on your Instagram post about how good it is that your kids help you, how my dad and my grandpa got me into metalworking and stuff by uh, letting me fool around with that. I've got, I'm actually looking at this robot guy I made when I was like six in my grandpa's shop, and... Yeah, I think all that stuff is really great that you get your kids into that. That's, I guess that's the point of this podcast. Yeah. Is getting young people involved and inspired to make things. Well, I think, honestly, I think uh, without going too far into the problems of our world, I think a lot of a lot of the problems that we do have is that kids aren't given enough responsibility at a young age, I I think a lot of people underestimate the ability of kids. Uh, You know, we tend to want a helicopter parent and be worried about them getting hurt all the time. And, you know, I'm sure back when my, when I was starting to learn how to make knives, had my parents known how many times I came, how close I came to (laughs) hurt myself at a drill press or a grinder, you know, they'd, but you know, they probably did know, but they still let me, you know, they, they tried to watch Ignore and help it. a little bit, but yeah, they let me get my cuts and my bumps and my bruises. And, you know, there were certain pieces of equipment that I didn't use really all the way up until my journeyman test, because like a buffer, for example, that was one thing that just wasn't, you know, wasn't really an option for me to use. Uh, the buffer is kind of the most dangerous piece of equipment we have. So I, you know, I had a propane forge and, a press, but no buffer, 
<laughs> yeah, buffers you know? look so innocent, but you know, that thing, if it catches, you're not doing good. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I do, I think kids, you know, in, in other ways, like, you know, when I grew up, uh, you know, my parents owned an excavation business. My dad didn't make knives and, um, you know, he gave me a ton of responsibility to run equipment, drive backhoes and dump trucks and do all that stuff when I was really, really young. And, uh, you know, by the time I was in high school, I was running a crew and fully capable to just do all these jobs on my own for the most part. And, you know, I, I, I do, I think kids should be given more responsibility and, and be expected that they're going to probably screw up. They're going to ruin things, you know, I mean, out in the knife shop, for example, with these Montana knife company knives, my daughter, you know, she, I taught her kind of how to grind some of the handles. And one day while I was at work, she, she ground about 25 of them and about 24 of them were messed up, (laughs) but I, I was able to save them. I was able to come home and kind of regrind them and they were fine, but that's good. That's just a learning experience. I mean, you, you just have to know that that's going to be part of that experience. Well, I know exactly what you're talking about. That definitely makes sense. I I have friends that don't do their own laundry. Like, it's crazy to me. Because I know I've been making my own lunch since I was in grade one. And I still have friends who's, you know, well, let's see what my mom gave me today. Yeah, And I just, exactly. I don't see that working out. I know I had a friend that started getting into knives with me at the same time. I sort of dragged him along. And his parents ended up sort of shutting him down. They kind of killed the the excitement about it for him. They were too, I don't know, what's the word, overbearing. Yeah. They didn't they didn't let him, you know, get dirty enough, and I think he lost it. Right. But I'm so glad my parents, you know, they let me get into it. They let me work. And yeah, they're fantastic. How how I, old did, uh, how old are you now? I've I turned 15 on the 30th. Okay, and how old were you when you got started? Uh, maybe 11. Yeah, so that's the same age that I was. Yeah, well, that's that's my next question. How and why did you get into knife making? And like, give me the whole journey. Let's let's go all the way back. Well, I was 11 playing baseball, uh, little league baseball, and uh, my little league baseball coach was Rick Dunkerley, and uh, he was a knife maker. And at that time, Rick, you know, was making hunting knives and, um, I think just getting into doing a little bit of forging, uh, doing some Damascus, uh, and my parents bought me one of his knives for Christmas. And then right after Christmas, he invited me up to come make a knife. And I think he could tell at practice that I was, I was super interested in, the whole knife thing because I was asking him a bunch of questions and I'm sure I was being annoying. And, uh, so he let me come up and I made a knife with him and I don't know if it's a combination, it's probably a combination of me pestering him and, and him being kind enough to invite me. Uh, I kind of kept coming back and he kept teaching me and I, I took a, I took a pretty, I took it pretty serious and I dove into it pretty hard and you know, Rick was good enough to suggest at that time when I was 12, he was good enough to suggest that I join the American Bladesmith Society. You know, and back then, that's kind of the way you had to, 
you you had to do things. I mean, the only way to learn back then was to go to a, a maker's shop or to look at a blade magazine or a knives illustrated, but there was no internet. So, you know, the American bladesmith society was a way to, you know, get their journal and maybe go to some of their hammer ins and, and, and get involved in the knife world, you know? And, uh, you know, at that time I, I started, I was, I had a lawn mowing business, uh, that I would earn money in. My mom would haul my mower around and me and drop me off and I'd, I'd go do my job and then she'd come back and pick me up when I was done. And then I also worked in their excavation business, like I said earlier, and they, they paid me well to work in that. And that's how I raised money to start buying equipment for my shop. And, uh, I bought a grizzly grinder and just a few other, you know, just a few other little small tools. And my dad set me up a little corner in the shop and kind of went after it. And after a couple of years, I was really pretty much fully self-sufficient in my shop as far as building them, building them in my shop and then taking them up to Rick's house to, uh, to get his critiques and take my, kind of take my beating and go home and try to do better. Yeah. So that's fantastic. I know I'm looking at, um, Rick Dunkerley's Instagram right now. I know I follow him and his knives. I see where you get the folders from. His are fantastic too. So I just put his, um, Instagram at Rick Dunkerley in the show notes for anyone who wants to check him out. Lots of engraving Damascus, that blue Damascus that you're pretty well known for. Yeah. And Um, that's, that's, uh, that's what was so cool about the time. You know, I, I was definitely really lucky to get in with Rick when I did, because it just so happened to be that basically Rick was sitting on the launch pad and he was ready to kind of shoot to the moon when it came to his abilities. And I was, he was also around a lot of other knife makers in Montana, especially a lot of, a lot of younger knife makers don't know what was happening back then, but you know, the Montana knife makers back then were getting together often having hammer ins and sharing ideas. And, and, you know, Rick, uh, Rick was heavily involved with Shane Taylor and Wade Coulter and, uh, Barry Gallagher, you know, and these guys, uh, they just kind of kept pushing each other. And then we, we'd go to shows and I was the kid kind of tagging along and just absorbing as much as I could possibly understand. And the better they got, the better I got. And, uh, you know, we also at those hammer-ins had, we had a lot of guys come out to Montana and teach right there where we lived, you know, Don Fogg came out. Uh, Hank Nickmeyer, Rob Hudson. I mean, some of these guys, some of these names, guys today who are Instagram famous don't even know. And that's uh, that's kind of another pet peeve of mine. I think a lot of a lot of younger guys need to go back and see what was being done because those guys were unbelievable. Steve Schwarzer was up there all the time teaching us. Um, Wayne Goddard came out and. There was just so many guys really heavily involved, Al Dippold and a bunch of guys. But anyway, we, you know, Rick just, Rick really took off hard into the Damascus. He was making big fixed blade Damascus knives back then and and hunting knives. And then he kind of transitioned into the folding knife world and really, really did well with that as well. So I was, uh, 
I, I definitely had a good work ethic and I had some ability, but I also was very fortunate to be involved in the group of people I was. And later on in my knife making, really even after I got my Master Smith stamp, I kind of transitioned into learning more from other guys like Tim Hancock and Harvey Dean and Larry Fagan and guys like that. Yeah, well, that's really, that is incredible that you had that much talent around you. Um, and it shows in your work today, like, you know, you're making really incredible work right now. And it's, you can see how a lot of that talent rubs off. I I don't really have a lot of uh, knife makers around here. Ethan Hardy is like actually really close to where I live. I want to go do a class with him. So if you're listening to this and you can get a class or you can meet up with somebody and soak up some knowledge, make sure you do. Cause that's, that's the most valuable thing. Yeah, the uh, you know the internet is fantastic, and I'm I'm jealous of the young makers now because everything really is at your fingertips. But it still doesn't replace um, being there in person and and picking up those little tiny things that you know in a video that you don't see or that a maker maybe doesn't doesn't even think about explaining you know, it gives you that chance to say, hey, why did you do that right there? Or how did you do that? And and then m almost more importantly than that is the, uh, the ability to develop relationships and friendships to where, you know, maybe 10 years later, you have a question on something, you know, if I need to call up Steve Schwarzer, I can do that because I've, you know, developed that relationship 20 years ago, you know, and those relationships are really cool to have, you know, those are that's the best part of knife making to me is the people, collectors and makers. Well, and the community is so fantastic around knife making. Like, look at you. I'm just some kid out here, and I emailed Craig Lockwood. I got myself a podcast. Like, I'm playing with the big dogs. I DM'd you. You're on here. Like, you guys, you know, the big people making knives are so generous and so great to young people and to getting in there. And if, you know, if you know how to use that to your advantage, you can really, really get far. And I don't mean that in like a manipulative way. I just mean. Oh, no, it's smart. It's smart. Yeah, and it's, it's, what, it's what you should do. And no, the knife making community is always so sharing and caring and giving. Um, unlike really any other artistic form, you know, and I, I was the benefit yeah. of a ton of that, obviously. And. And I try to try to pass that on where I can and help out, you know, and even at, at knife shows, you know, if knife makers were sold out or if I was sold out and a collector was kind of looking for something in particular, you know, we'll walk that collector over to another maker's table and say, hey, you need to check out this guy. He's doing really cool work or, you know, he's a young kid and he's doing maybe he's doing nice stuff. You know, there's a lot of collectors that maybe can't afford something of mine, but. I can bring him over and show him something of yours because you're up and coming or or maybe I take him over and show him something of another maker's that's way better than me because I can tell he's looking for something maybe even on a higher level than I can do so but that that all that all comes back to you in the end you know yeah well it's it is just one of the best communities out there and yeah you guys are just fantastic and that was another question I had what um, what challenges did you face being young? Like what people not taking you seriously? 
You know, that's a big, like, well, the way I see it, you spend so much time making knives and thinking about knives that it becomes one of your main interests. So then it's an interest that you don't share with many other people. Did you make a lot of friends through knives with kids when you were a kid? You know, not really at all with kids. I mean, it was, you know, I did, I, I was around a lot of old older guys. I mean, of course, a lot of these guys were in their 30s, and I was 12 and thought they were old, and here I'm 39. So, but, I mean, I was around a lot of grown-up men, and, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of kids involved. Um, you know, not not too long, like sometime around... I don't really know in particular what year, but, you know, guys like Nick Wheeler uh, mm-hmm. and Jason Knight, you know, those guys were were younger and closer to my age. Um, I, I didn't see them very often except for at a couple particular shows. Um, you know, as far as struggles and challenges, it was more of a, it was more of the personal struggle and challenge because, you know, I didn't have didn't have internet so I didn't have Instagram to have like some knife maker you know to follow or to uh to maybe give me a pep talk or tell me how great I was doing quite honestly it was kind of the opposite I was showing my work to people that I were were kind of my mentors and I was kind of getting beat up you know so sometimes it was a mental like god I'm never gonna please these guys you know Rick's never gonna ever gonna say good job or or you know Wade or Shane or those guys, you know, I was always kind of the kid, you know, they called me knife boy or psycho knife boy or whatever. And I was the one at knife shows. They'd give a bunch of quarters to, to go to the pop machine and buy pops. And I was kind of the errand boy. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't on their level. I was a kid, you know, so, and I was treated that way at times. So sometimes that was frustrating. You know, you, you want to be one of the big dogs and you're not, you're a kid, you know, but I, I kept going, you know, and there were times where my parents had to say, hey, you're, you're doing fine. They, they're proud of you or they like what you're doing. You just got to keep going. And, and ultimately they were right. You know, those, those guys were pushing me because they could see that, you know, if they told me I could do something better on a knife, they were probably right. You know, they, they saw that I could do, do a better job. And it's what made me shoot up so fast because I kept having that, like, I want to, prove it to these guys that I'm good and the other thing is is I you know I never wanted anybody to think like you know when I passed my journeyman smith test I was 15 years old and I didn't want anybody to think that I you know it was given to me or that you know uh I was making the knives at Rick's shop or anything like that and Rick was really good about that he you know he'd I'd bring knives up to him and kind of show him and he'd say, well, you do this better or that better or whatever. But, you know, he was, he was never the kind of grab it from me and do it for me. It was like, well, you probably ought to fix this. And then just like I would do with a 35 year old knife maker today, like you better fix that. And then your guy goes home and he fixes it, you know? Um, And it's the best way, like, it'll make you better for sure. Well, and I know, did you ever feel that when you walk into like a uh, a tools tool store? You know what I mean though? You'd walk into like the whatever store where you were going to buy tools and you're like, "Yeah, I need a bandsaw." And they just look at you like, "Yeah. Oh, this kid doesn't know what a bandsaw is." 
Yeah, for me it was more like knife shows. You know, sometimes I, I think that was the case a little bit. But honestly, I got it wasn't all bad either. I mean, I you know I got a lot of coverage, a lot of publicity in Blade magazine, and so it wasn't too long into into making knives that you know at the Blade show a lot of people knew who I was, and so I definitely did earn some respect and. You know, there were a few knife makers I could tell maybe were jealous a little bit of some of the coverage I had and whatnot, but, and, you know, quite frankly, my knives didn't warrant that that coverage. If I was 35, I wouldn't have been treated the same as I was when I was 14, you know, so, you know, I was lucky to, you know, get the coverage that I got at that young age and got the orders, knife orders, and definitely some good publicity, but... I will say for myself, even with getting that, it, it pushed me to want to like prove that I deserved it or that yeah, I was I was worthy it. of it, and you know, so I kept trying to get better. And uh, you know, by the time I was 19, I tested and became the youngest master knife maker, master smith, you know, that had ever done it. And um, that was a that was a really good accomplishment. I I struggle sometimes a little bit because. You know, if you go back and look at my journeyman smith test knives or my master smith test knives, I'm like, God, I can't believe I passed, you know. But back then, they were worthy of passing. And I don't think I passed because of my age. I passed because I deserved to. But I, I was nowhere near a master, and I still don't consider myself a master. I think it's, a, it's, it's an accomplishment I'm proud of, but it's also one that, I feel a little awkward about, you know, I've gotten a lot of publicity and I, even on my own West website, you know, I'll say I was the youngest master Smith because it's a fact. It's, you know, it's a, a test that I, point. Yeah. it's a test that I passed, but which is incredible, but I don't, I, I feel like I'm a long ways from being a master. You know, I think once you finally think you got to where, uh, you can't learn any more than you should probably just quit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> What's the point? Yeah, I mean, I'm so much better now than I was when I was 19. You know, so clearly when I was 19, I wasn't a master. But, you know, the same, I'm sure Rick or Rick Dunkerley or Steve Schwarzer or any of those guys would all say the same about their ability levels when they pass that test. That It's it's really only just the beginning, that Master Smith stamp. You know, you've proven that you've got good ability and you can you can provide a really good functional knife that's clean but and you've got the tools and the skills but i think most guys that do really well use it as a launching point not as an end point yeah well i think you mentioned something about getting a lot of orders and publicity from being young and i think that definitely is something that i see and i feel i feel like i get a little bit i get a little break because i'm a kid i think all all my orders up to now, or at least some of them, have been, oh, support this young kid. But when I got my first order, the jump in the quality of knife I made from the last knife I had made was bigger than any other jump I've ever made. Because then I was proving that it was worth that amount of money. You know, when someone's giving you something for your work, or saying your work is good, you got to prove your work is good. It's almost, praise almost makes more pressure than... Um, then what's the word not praise yeah and i and i 
I agree with that, and I think there's different kinds of people in the world, but you know, it's, some of it can make you grow your head and and get too big for your britches and get arrogant, or or it can drive you to continue to get better and and outdo yourself. And if you're always trying to outdo yourself or or learn more, then you're going to be fine. And you know, my I'd caution I I, I would caution you at a young age of getting in that trap of having too many orders because sometimes you can find yourself in a position where you're trapped making the same knife over and over uh, when you've got all these ideas in your head of what you want to make you know when you as a 15 year old look on Instagram and you see all these different knives out there that are amazing that you maybe can't make yet but you want to you know you want to always be moving forward and at times, there there was a certain amount of time there where I just got inundated. I mean, I literally had hundreds of orders, and it would have taken me years to fill. And I kind of finally had to just just kind of move on and let those go. And you know, by the time I got out of high school, I'd I'd learned to manage that a little bit better. Um, but I would have just been stuck still making a four-inch drop point three-piece hunter you know, and never making my master Smith stamp quality knives, you know, where I'm forging mosaic Damascus at 16 or 17 years old, you know? Well, I'm just really glad that my first order was a chef knife because that's what, that's my favorite knife to make for sure. I love nine inch chefs and it's what everyone's, almost everyone's been ordering. So right now I'm happy and I can't wait to get to the point where I can make what I want because I think the dream is I'd like to make on more of a production scale rather than single one-off pieces. And then, you know, you eventually do a one-off piece between batches or whatever. But I sort of like the idea of getting my work out into the world to more people. It's just different approaches, I suppose. And you get to, you know, choose your approach once you get enough enough, uh, following. No, that's 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 a good way to look at it, and you can definitely use, you know, in, in contrary to what I was just saying, you can also use your orders as a fantastic way to learn, because you do find customers that will give you freedom to to learn, or maybe to make something that, you know, say, hey, what do you want to make? And if you might, you might say, oh, I want to make a dagger, but I've never made one, and a customer will say, well, make it for me. You know, and so you can, customers a lot of times are, especially when you're young, are really good about also being helpful in that way. And, you know, the, the orders and capitalizing on things while you're young, you know, that's one place I probably, uh, could have had more, more guidance or more advice. And I, I don't even know if I would have necessarily listened to it back then because all I wanted to do was just make better and better knives but you know had I started the production thing that I'm trying to do now 25 30 years ago um you know I'd probably be a millionaire many times over you know I would have been way ahead of my time and I I had orders and I had abilities to do that but I never even honestly back then it never crossed my mind I just wanted to I just wanted to make a knife like you know Larry Fagan or Harvey Dean or Tim Hancock it wasn't it wasn't back then even really as much for me about making money or a business it was about honestly making enough money to buy the next piece of equipment 
<laughs> That's really yeah. about as far-sighted as I could see. I know. I'm looking at heat-treating ovens like, ooh. So if any heat-treating oven manufacturers want to sponsor this show, you know who to talk to. There you go. But, um, no, I guess it's it's passion, and it's what what you feel passionate about is the right thing to do. I feel more passionate about making, I don't know, I feel like the more knives you make, the more likely you are to make one that's just right. And until I make one that's right, I don't think I can stop. You know, I'll never make one that's right, though. That's the problem. Yeah. But making more knives, I feel like you can dial it in into something that is near perfect rather than making a, something different every time. I prefer to make, to dial it in. It's just, you know. And that's what I guess that's what's cool is there's all there's there's really nothing that is right or wrong. It's all what you want to do, you know, and I I in another sense I really like the path that I took because I do feel like I'm the kind of maker now that can build just about anything if if folding knife I go on a streak and want to build folding knives for a few months I can do that. And then if I want I can transition over to a a chef's knife or over to a buoy knife or a dagger and um you know when you're full time at it and it's your it's your living sometimes it's nice to have the variation where you can kind of mix things up a little bit and keep that excitement you know but yeah. it, you know honestly at your age what I did and you're probably doing something similar as I I was all about building my shop but because I really didn't have any bills I didn't have any re- real responsibilities um, as far as real life adult stuff. So, you know, the money I made went right back into my shop, you know, and at times, yeah. And at times my parents would buy a piece of equipment that I was really wanting and I'd keep a tally and then I would, I would pay it off. Basically they were the bank and I'd either pay it off and working in their business or in knives that I sold or, or whatever. But for the most part, I, I saved the money and bought, you know, I remember when I was 15 years old, I sold my journeyman Smith test set and I bought my first really nice grinder, which was a Birking. Oh, that, and that was, good. that was like buying a Cadillac when you were 15 years old. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know my grandpa bought me my grinder and I have a chart on my wall right now that I'm filling up with money as I pay him back. Yeah, that's perfect. I appreciate him for that too. Yeah. And I guess I never... Like, my first order came from a guy that saw me on your story, and then all my other orders have come from people that seen his, and, you know, so I guess you are, you know, right now, sort of the sole reason that got me starting to get orders, so I don't know when I would have started getting them without you, but I really appreciate what you did for me there. Well, I could see some, I could just see by looking at your page that you had some ability and you had some drive and and I knew if I shared that that you'd you'd get some business and and sure enough he jumped right on it and and then he shared it and which was really nice of him and yeah um no that's that's what we do when we see somebody that um you know shows that you know it's not you weren't just talking about what you were wanting to do or standing standing in front of me saying something you were actually making stuff already and showing that you were serious about it and that's that's important yeah well i thanks i just really wanted to say thank you i realized i never did so oh no i no problem 
Oh, I knew you. I knew you appreciated it, and I'm really happy that uh, it kind of kicked you off. But it's your own work that's selling it. You know, I'm just uh, just helping kind of get some eyeballs towards you. You're gonna be insta famous though with the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess we'll see. It's growing. It started. You'd be the. When they put me on Knife Talk. I really got a nice boost. I'm sure. Yeah, you'll be the Joe Rogan of Canada. Yeah, slowly, slowly growing. Yeah. And that's what you said about connections and the internet. The internet is so amazing. Like, without the internet, I would just be some kid who no one's ever heard of. And now, you know, I'm not a household name, but I'm making connections. I'm talking to Josh Smith right now, which is crazy to me still. You're one of my, you know, inspirations. Like, I look up to you. I was... Like, they said my name on Knife Talk. Like, these are just... It's the internet, and it's our generation of young makers is having this opportunity that none has ever had before to take publicity and connections and their learning into their own hands instead of being taught or given something. You have this opportunity to use the internet to your advantage, or like I feel like a lot of other kids do, you just spend your time on it, but... Well, and that's you're you're, you're uh, clearly a good communicator, and obviously you can thank your parents for raising you to be that way because that's and that's really as good at knife making as I was early. It was really be really because I was a good communicator. You know, I was able to, you know, I didn't have the internet, so I was going to knife shows. You know, my first knife show was in Eugene, Oregon, and then I went to Blade Show every year in high school and. And I wasn't afraid to go up to, you know, Bill Moran, you know, to his table or to Buster Wierenski or whoever it was and ask them for advice or how they did that or, or, and strike up conversations, you know. And when I was, I think I was 15 or 16, I flew across the country standby to go stay with George Heron and his wife and his shop for a week. And, uh, you know, I was just a, about your age and, you know, that ability to be able to communicate and now it's just in a different way. You're doing it through the internet and... Yeah, and I do reach out to people. I reached out to you. I reached out to... And the power of asking is so incredible, I've learned recently, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and in this industry, you almost never get told to go away, <laughs> you know, or told no. I mean, you almost always get something out of it and and no your your ability and your your willingness to ask uh you know if it it really goes throughout life if you want something you need to ask for it or figure out you know ask how to do it you know and maybe not ask for it if to be given but uh you know you you got to have the the tenacity and the guts to ask that guy that's kind of your hero like for help you know so, yeah, you're doing good in that way for sure. Well, thank you. And I guess, yeah, the power of asking is really amazing, what you can do by asking, because nobody's going to give it to you if you don't. And I know you had mentioned knife shows and the power of knife shows and talking to people, and I know I can't wait for Big Sky Conference, hopefully 2021. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you want to talk any more about that? Yeah, sure. I, you know, for years I used to, 
Well, as a kid, you know, we had lots of hammer-ins that I went to uh, that Rick was hosting, and then we had also traveled to other shops where there were hammer-ins. And, you know, for the younger guys that don't know, a hammer-in is basically just a like a, like a school. It's a weekend get-together, um, and there's different formats. Some are more structured, some are more free and open to do whatever. But uh, I started hosting hammer-ins at my own shop, Oh, quite a few years ago, and I did five or six, seven years worth of hammer-ins in a row, and uh, and now I haven't done one for about eight years, and so I wanted to pick them up again. Uh, kind of went through some things. Life sometimes can kick you in the butt a little bit. I had a, got a divorce, and then my house burned down. It was like a sad country song for a while, <laughs> but everything's all good now. It's all works out for the better, but. Uh, I was going to have another hammer in this year and, and then COVID hit and, uh, and ruined that. So I've moved it to next July and I've always been really lucky to get amazing talent at my hammer ins and, uh, in the past. And this year was going to be no exception. I, you know, just a few off the top of my head, uh, Steve Schwarzer was going to be here and Mareko Malmasi, Harvey Dean, Neil Kamamura, Bill Rupel, John Young, uh, Neil Niels Vandenberg from South Africa. Um, oh, geez. I mean, I and every time I try, Greg Sims from out out in I think he's in Connecticut. Uh, I think I said Mareko Mamasi. Anyway, there's just a bunch of guys. Uh, Bob Kramer. I mean, biggest chef's knife name in the game. Yeah. Well, for people who don't, people who aren't in the knife making world, these are rock stars. You guys like. This was a big deal. I know I was begging my parents to go. That was going to be... I was hoping to get that for my birthday because my birthday is July. Um, they said I can go when I can drive myself. So I guess 16 here in Alberta is driver's license. Yeah, that's awesome. That's what I did when I was... You're, I, I drove to the Eugene, Oregon Knife Show. It was about 13-hour drive, 14-hour drive from here, and I drove when I was 15. So your parents and my parents must have read the same handbook. Yeah. But no, that hammer in is a place that uh there's just mine's pretty structured during the day. Uh there'll be two or three classes going on at a time. It's mostly hands off. You just sit and you watch and you learn, which I think you know, you get the most information covered in a day by watching a master or somebody really good at what they do work instead of you know, watching someone who doesn't know what they're doing work. But then in the evening you know, there's some time for some for some guys to do some some hammering on some things, and then I have a bowling ball cannon that we shoot that shoots bowling balls over a mile with black powder. That's pretty cool. We shoot guns. Uh, I had a marine sniper that was going to be here to teach teach rifle shooting. Uh, uh, he's a fantastic shooter, and um, Volcourts and Firearms was going to bring their their pist their 22 pistols and uh, Jason Knight was going to be here, so yeah, it was it was going to be fantastic. But it'll be the pretty much a a rerun of what I had planned next July. Um, I think it's the like the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth next year. So I'll have that in, that information's on my website. Yeah, put it in your calendars, everybody, because that that's going to be incredible. I had about two hundred two hundred and fifty people registered for that and about a hundred and twenty of them were gonna be camping here on my property. So it was gonna be like 
like a giant party of knife makers and 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 collectors i should say you know people uh we want collectors to come to these too because it's it's really good for collectors to learn you know about what they're buying and it's a great chance for them to get to know say somebody like you for example some of these people might buy your knives but have never met you and they get to hang out with you for a weekend and get to know you better and quite honestly most of these collectors are buying the maker as much as they're buying the knife yeah for sure well yeah that was gonna be incredible next year i'm sure it will be some really big names coming down uh you built a shop extension for that is that all done now you know it is pretty much done i i i kind of more than doubled the size of my forging shop really just for the hammer in and you know that hammer in was actually supposed to have been this last weekend and so uh i i i tore my old shop down in march and april and i built the new one in may and uh pretty much have it done um i don't know if a shop is ever fully complete because there will always be little things here and there but it it is done and actually last weekend uh Travis Wirtz, who makes the TW90 grinders, he flew up here with Eric Fleming, and uh, the owner of the Hardcore Grinder Company was here, and a couple other guys, and we, uh, it was a year to the day that Tim Hancock had passed away on July 11th, and Tim always taught at my hammer-ins, and he was a, he was a giant, he was a legend in the knife-making industry, and so, uh, and he was a mentor of mine, and a really good friend, like a father figure, and he was to Travis as well. And so we forged in his honor on Saturday night. We, uh, we made Damascus, and we actually put some of his ashes in the uh, powdered Damascus billet. And then we stuffed some of his ashes in a couple bowling balls, and we launched him over the mountain too because he always loved the bowling ball cannon. So we had a fun night of uh, kind of honoring and remembering Tim. Uh, instead of the hammer in this weekend, that's what we did, so... It was it was a fun time. That's really good, and that's someone should do that with my ashes when I go when I die. Put it in a knife somewhere. It's better than being buried in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. Oh, here it is. All right. So, let's get into. I know everybody has a personal philosophy on what they do. You know, and for makers, I feel like that's even more powerful because you are following your personal thoughts, your choices. Everything is embodied in your work. What is your personal philosophy on the work you do? Well, I, I'm always just trying to, to push myself and 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 just to learn. I mean, I guess that's kind of my, I. I kind of have that little saying that obviously I didn't make up but I like which is embrace the grind and and it's really just kind of pushing forward each day to be a little bit better and to learn and and no matter what you're doing and what kind of knives you're making um you know that's that's kind of like with this knife company thing that I'm doing right now it's totally different but I'm learning a ton and I think that's what's so exciting I think that's what appeals a lot to knife makers when they get into it because pretty much every knife maker that first gets into making knives sucks at making knives, right? But they they get better and they learn 
and and something within them is pushing them to get better and so um you know that's i guess if you want to say philosophy that's just kind of how i've always looked at it. i've always i mean since the time i was 11 years old it's just always trying to get better you know a hundred percent i know exactly what you mean by that and i guess i guess what that all ties back into is your your time how much time do you have to get better and i know that might be a weird thing for someone my age to be thinking about but it's something i think about all the time is the time that i have you know wasted time time to do things and i think it's the one thing that gives me an edge over other I don't know, kids is that i'm i'm looking forward and thinking about time and i think that's something that you must have done too as when you were young otherwise you wouldn't put so much time into something like knives when everybody else is you know worried about girls you know and i got i did i you're exactly right i mean i you know i was playing sports uh, i played basketball and some football and baseball and whatnot and uh you know so i did kind of the extracurricular stuff after school but i spent a lot of early mornings working in my shop and almost every weekend or late evenings and you know quite frankly got made fun of it by a lot of my friends i wasn't a partier i do i wasn't a drinker i never smoked weed like and i didn't really care more important I didn't, things to do i didn't really care that people did that but i just yeah i wanted to i, I just wanted to make knives and and uh and I had goals set, you know, I did, I did set that goal of becoming the youngest journeyman knife maker in the world and the youngest master smith. And the only way that was going to be accomplished was by, you know, I had a lot to learn in a small amount of time. And, uh, I had, I had to go to, sc- I didn't, I didn't have the luxury of working on knives eight or 12 hours a day. I had to go to school and play sports. So I did have to manage my time well. And quite honestly, my dad's the best I've ever seen at managing time. And I actually wish I was a lot better. Um, but I'm better probably than, than, you know, a lot of people at it. But, uh, you know, for kids these days, you know, uh, my, my kids don't have any video games. I mean, we don't, they don't have time for them and I've never, it's never been something I've allowed in the house. And I'm not saying that parents that have them are bad or anything like that. It's just personal choice. But, I just can't really think of a bigger waste of time than sitting in front of a stupid video game when there's things that you can be learning or or doing and you know my kids they they definitely waste their fair share amount of time but there's also a lot of times they're down washing their steers or washing their pigs or doing whatever 4-H or cleaning the barn or they're out playing basketball or whatever that uh you know they're using their time to to learn skills and to and to accomplish things and they're saving money with their 4-H animals when they sell them and you know my biggest my biggest piece of advice for kids these days would be to to man suck up and learn as much as you can cuz like even you for example right now the time you have right now you know when you're 25 years old and you have to worry about paying rent or if you're if you've got a girlfriend or a wife or down the road you have kids like time time management is never not a priority you know whether you're 35 years old or 15 years old Um, i hear you a lot of knife makers struggle with that you know because there is nobody really telling you 
you have to be here at eight. You have to be here till five. Um, and even myself, I mean, I'll fully admit I, when I was full time, I was full time at it for 10 years and I got out of it being full time kind of for some other personal reasons too. But you know, I could have managed my time better. And, and it's easy in your shop when you're working on a project that maybe you're not real excited about. Well, gosh, I could go over there and start my forge and try making that new Damascus pattern I'm thinking yeah. about. There has to be a level of, uh, you know, commitment and, and self, self-control. Uh, self-control exactly to, uh, to say, no, I need to, I need to get that order out. I told that person I was going to make that by, you know, the 10th of the month, I need to get it done and treat it more like a job, you yeah. know? Well, I find it's easy to get, to get to work in the shop. I'm doing, I'm really dedicated to trying to get to being knife making more. I'm taking some summer school to to get ahead. I'm hoping to graduate early so that I can get, you know, right out of easy fun life and into hard working life as soon as possible. So I'm, well, right now I get to school and I'm working on, I'm doing English and I can't motivate myself and then I'll go to the shop for a couple hours and I, you know, it's easy to get work. And I know I used to play a lot of video games when I was little. Then right when I started knife making, I almost completely stopped it because I learned the satisfaction of hard work and the feeling of holding something. When I finish a knife, I don't put it down for like four hours. I sit on the couch and like move it around and find everything wrong with it. And I have so much satisfaction from working hard. Like since I started knife making, I go to bed sore twice as much as I ever used to and I love it. Yeah. I do more sports, I do more my mind is more active. I like I feel like I'm smarter, more attention to detail. I feel like I've just leveled up as a person since I started making knives. And I think for anybody considering getting into a craft or anything, you definitely should because your mind, your body and your I don't know, your soul, everything will just eat it up and soak it. And kids learn so fast. I can tell that I learn faster than adults just because I'm growing. So I try to take care of my body to allow it to learn the fastest. And all of it stems because I started knife making. So I think making things and creativity is the best thing for a person. No, I think you're right. And I also think, you know... even if you don't end up being a full-time knife maker someday, you, you learn skills, you know, say other, other, uh, that's why I always, or why I want to encourage more parents to, to get their kids into some kind of a, of a trade. If you've got somebody locally that makes bows or makes guns or makes knives or maybe he's a blacksmith or whatever, it doesn't matter. Just some kind of a trade like that, because Maybe maybe your kid or maybe even you won't be a full-time knife maker someday. I mean, you don't know what 20 years from now brings, but maybe but maybe because you learned how to weld when you were 16, um, maybe someday you're a, you know, Tim Hancock was a nuclear power plant welder, and he, he welded and built nuclear power plants, you know, and, uh, you know, maybe you're a woodworker someday. Maybe you fall in love with, some other aspect that knife making leads you to or 
or someone else, maybe they, they, they end up becoming a really good leather worker because they got into making knives and maybe they weren't very good at making knives, but they fell in love with the leather, you know, so nothing bad can come from it. Even if, even if, you know, full-time knife making is a real challenge and I caution anybody to, to have that be their only plan. Um, but even if it is your plan and the plan changes down the road, the skills you learn from it, the patience, the, the artistic ability, the communication skills with collectors, like I could go on and on about the good that that comes from it, even if it doesn't turn into a career for a young person, you know. No and it's doubt. always it's always something that it's a lot like golf. You can do it until you die. I mean, quite frankly, it can be a really nice little paying hobby, you know, if you if you want a new set of golf clubs or you want a new hunting rifle or, uh, or whatever, and you want to, maybe, maybe you're only making minimum wage and you can't really afford to save that money from your paycheck because you're paying rent, but you can make one knife a month to, to help offset the cost of something else that you want. I mean, there's just so many different things that you can do with having a hobby of some kind that's good, you know, and a creative outlet. It's fantastic. Yeah, and well, you, you do, it's, it's it's a mental, you know, there, there's so much craziness and, and, you know, what seems like bad going on in the, in the world, and mostly it's just because the media wants to tell you about bad and they don't want to tell you enough about good, but, you know, anything like that, these kind of hobbies or crafts, when, you, when you're out in your shop doing it, you're you forget about the rest of the world and you get lost in it, you know, and I know for Neil Kamamura, you know, he has a really neat talk that he did at, at Sornex's uh, summer strong, where he talked about how he was struggling with mental like uh, depression issues, you know, and, and when he got out in front of that anvil and started wailing on hot steel, all the, all the stress and all the, anxiety and and the different things that were he was the demons he was struggling with they all go away and it's just him and the steel and it's 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 essentially therapy yeah. you know and i know that's that way for a lot of soldiers that come home from war and um crafts like this can be a a really nice little mental break from the stresses of life for sure i never feel so at peace as when i'm working on a knife yeah that's great no doubt and, I mean, to take it in a totally different direction, parents, just in case you're hesitant about letting your kid get into it, I was cleaning the bathroom yesterday, or not yesterday, but a couple days ago, and since I started knife making, I've started noticing all these little things that I need to clean in the bathroom, and all these little things, like the inside of the light switches and stuff, that you notice this tiny little bit of dirt, and you've got to get it, because now my eye is so much more tuned in from you know that type of work so parents if you want a clean bathroom yeah. get your kids some get your kid an anvil well and you know what's funny is my parents would use my knife shop also as leverage against me um you know my parents would tell me hey if you do get in trouble you know say out drinking or or if you don't do your chores or 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 whatever you know we're gonna lock up the knife shop and you won't be able to work out there for the next week or whatever so honestly it was important enough to me that i i wanted to kind of toe the line and be a pretty good kid because i didn't want to lose my privilege of being in my shop you know so 
I, I think so many kids these days actually don't have they don't have something enough to care about. Yeah, something to care about and an identity and something to look forward to, you know. And passion. Um, exactly. Well, I know I think it keeps me busy. Like my friends sometimes they'll ask, you know, you wanna go do something? Oh, I gotta work on a knife. I don't have time to get in trouble. Like I don't know what I'd be doing without it. Probably nothing bad. I'm I'm pretty good, I think, but you know, it definitely gives me something else to do other than, um, you know, anything bad because knives are, it's 100% positive. Exactly. No, I agree 100%. So, now I'm still looking at my questions sheet here. And I think I'm about, about through. I know I had a couple other questions. They've sort of been answered throughout the throughout our conversation i think it's been a really fantastic a really positive conversation you know we covered a lot of good topics um i don't have a lot else you know pressing to talk to is there anything anything else you'd like to mention or cover oh i just encourage you know i encourage you know probably quite honestly even though this is a young makers podcast probably be a lot of adults listening to it you know and and uh I definitely encourage parents and adults to, you know, either get your kids out there or get a kid of somebody's out there to to teach them and help them. And we, we need more kids involved in stuff like this. And, and uh, you know, the kids that are out there, you know, I encourage them to to force themselves away from their computers and YouTube a little bit, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's a fantastic tool, but the back to the communication part we talked about don't be afraid to pick up that phone and call a knife maker or or you know go visit a shop or or even better yet you know go to a hammer in um or a knife show and walk around and force yourself to ask questions and uh and get comfortable with talking to adults you know and i think the older you get in life the less less self-conscious you get and you realize a lot of stuff you worry about as a kid or what people are thinking or whatever nobody really cares they're only gonna really be more impressed uh than than anything by a kid asking a question and um no the knife making world's fantastic and uh it's amazing it's amazing where it's gone and i guess my last little piece of advice is is look into the history, try to find some of those old magazines and some of the knives annuals are fantastic. You know, knives, knives, 1996 or knives, 1985 and, and look at what they were doing back then. And you can get ideas and you can get inspiration on knives you want to make. And you can also see what some of those legends were doing before, before the internet. Yeah. Bob Loveless. Yep. He's a big one. And yeah, I guess that's fantastic. That's a great message. I'd just like to round this out by saying this has been the Young Makers Podcast. You know, it's not called the Young Knife Makers Podcast. I know this has been a knife episode with the fantastic Josh Smith. He's a knife maker, obviously. But this podcast is for makers of all branches, jewelers, leather, wood, whatever you make. You know, I'd love love to see it. I know there's a... Oh, I meant to mention this too, and I totally forgot. 
there's uh, an exhibition somewhere in Britain. It's about young artists. I'll mention it on the next episode for sure. So if you are, if you would like to be a guest on the show, reach out to me. I'll be making a Young Makers podcast Instagram in the coming days, or to me at Aaron Iron and Steel underscores between each word. Uh, everyone, go follow Josh Smith if you don't already. Uh, I'll put his Instagram in the show notes as well. You know, and I guess my final message is just get into it. If you've been looking at leather, you've been looking at wood. Your parents do it. You know someone that does it. Do it. It's the best thing you can do. Just make sure you get into it and don't think about it. And yeah, with that, that's all we've got. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Congratulations on the podcast. And I, I look forward to seeing where you take it. Thank you. And I can't wait to see the work coming out of your new shop. Sounds great. Take care. Bye, everybody. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.